Hey everybody, welcome back for season two of the Broken Banquet podcast. This season, we've got more interviews with missionaries around the world, more interviews with authors who have written amazing books about missions, and more conversations about what it means for us to abide with one another. And yes, probably a story or two about Ashley taking a walk, eating food, or having drinks with someone who she now loves. We're so glad you're back. We're glad to be back. And we hope that you will enjoy this episode. Hey, Ashley. Oh, come on. (laughs) I always go first. Hey, Ashley. No, you can't go yet. That's not who you are. You're not the boss of me. Hey, I've heard that more than once in my life. Um, Usually for a 10-year-old, but I'll take it. Uh, hi, Ashley. Hi, Will. How are you? Very fine. Thank you. And you? Fine. How are things in Shreveport, Louisiana? You know, we don't usually record on a Sunday afternoon. You're right. And there's there's probably a reason for that. I think it's because I use all of my words on a Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. So there okay. is no telling what I'm going to say or if I'm going to even speak during this episode today. Well, thanks for letting us know ahead of time. We'll take that into account. Um, guess what? What's, what's that? Hmm? On our way to church this morning, did you say WhatsApp? I have no idea. See, this is why I said. I'm used to your mixed metaphors. I'm not used to you just making up words. <laughs> did you mean what's up or did you mean what's that? What's that, Will? On our way to church today, we were listening to Reuben Munn at Shore Community Church in Auckland, New Zealand, and at least three times in his sermon, he used the word abide. No, he didn't. I know he's just a really talented pastor and and preacher and communicator and theologian and all those things, but I'm just going to let myself believe that we planted that seed just by the sheer number of times we used the word abide when we interviewed him a couple of weeks ago. Oh, I believe it. I believe it. And I'm going to call him as soon as we get off the this podcast. And tell him he owes us money for using our word. Or just tell him congratulations <laughs> of joining the Abide train. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Either way. So guess what else? Well, what's that? <laughs> Good. Thank you. That's better. I have some friends with me in Costa Rica this week from one of our partner churches. And you know what we've been doing for the last four days? You have friends? there's people i've paid to come down here and spend time with us for the last four days but guess what we've been doing tell me abiding oh my gosh they like to call it a context trip a context trip okay okay they go to visit their partners and talk about ministry stuff but i'm just calling it abiding and that's abiding you know it's the coolest thing that they've gotten to do while they were here they got to go to Isabella's end of the year school play and watch her dance and sing Christmas carols. Which is amazing. Yolanda was sending me videos the last night. So yeah. I got to watch too. Yeah. Oh, that's they awesome. In person. Like that's the creme de la creme of abiding with a missionary is going to watch their nine-year-old in their elementary school play. Cherie, y'all hit the jackpot. Y'all hit the jackpot this week. So Cherie and Casey and Joyce, who we've already interviewed for season two. So by the time this interview is is being broadcast, people will have already heard 
choice because I'm sure everybody listens to every interview in order, but they're all here and it's been great. It's rained a ton. I've told them several times, if you don't have to go to New Zealand now, because this is what it's like, um, just lots of rain and mountain. Well, it sounds like y'all have had the best weekend ever. I'll let them decide, but <laughs> I think they have. And we're going to foodies for dinner tonight. So, you know, what could you want? Oh, one of my favorites. Blueberry hamburgers for everybody. Oh, the one with the honey mustard on it? It's my favorite. Without further ado, we just talk over one another the whole time. We're just fine. trying to figure out if I'm supposed to be quiet, if I'm supposed to be talking yeah. now. We're, we're going to get to you. We're going to get to you. Just hang on. Hang on. Without further ado, everyone, Ashley, meet Shuri. Shuri, meet Ashley. You both have heard about one another for a long time. Glad to have you on the podcast together. Shuri, welcome to The Broken Baker. Thank you. Nice to meet you, Ashley. Nice to meet you too, Cherie. Welcome. Thanks. <laughs> I'm excited to be here. So, you know, one of the... Re yes, Ashley? I was just going to say, Cherie, you look lovely in Carolina blue today. Oh, gosh. Come on. Why, thank you. I wore Duke blue yesterday. You know, Ashley, one of the reasons why I started even thinking about whether or not we could off something like this podcast was because Church of the Resurrection in Little Kansas interviewed me for the first season of their Bridging Cultures podcast. And I had so much fun just doing that and, you know, just hearing myself talk that, you know, we decided maybe we could do this. So Sheree is partly responsible for the fact that we even have a podcast. Thank you, Sheree. And so actually what he thought, if Sheree at Church of the Resurrection and her group can do it, <laughs> Anyone could do this. <laughs> we got this. <laughs> oh, that's, that's no, that's not true at all. It's not. We true. appreciate you inspiring, Will. Thank you so much because this has been a joy for me. So, yeah. well, good. Yeah, Ashley likes this way more than I do. Just kidding. We I both. I don't believe We that. both love it, and we both miss it when we're not doing it. So, thank you, Sheree. Would you would you introduce yourself and just tell us a little bit about? Um, your work at Church of the Resurrection? Sure. So um, my name is Sheree Reese, and I've been on staff, often on staff at Church of the Resurrection for gosh, 17 years. Um, and I say off because I took seven years off to homeschool my kids. Um, and then the last uh, 12 years, I've been in the missions uh, ministry area, working with our global partners around the world. So I have an opportunity to abide with people from different cultures different countries and different communities. And it's a considered a job, but it's really my passion. It's amazing. How lucky. I know. Yeah. Well, we know that Church of the Resurrection is a large church. And I, I would really like for you to kind of lay out as best as you can in the amount of time that we have. What does Church of the Resurrection looking outward and going outward, how do you organize that in a church with 30,000 members? It's actually kind of hard because everyone comes at it from their perspective or life experiences. And so everyone would like us to get engaged in every good thing that's out there. And initially, many years ago, we tried that um, because there are so many good ministries, projects, people, things that we can do. And we found that after many years, it was just like putting Band-Aids on gushing wounds and like nothing was really changing. And so, um, 
you know, fast forward and we learned, the more we learned about missions, about, you know, the disempowerment the church has done over the years and how we want to empower local leaders. And we went through very several iterations of what it looked like to do global missions and even local missions and it ended up boiling down to is we really needed to go deep in areas, really get to know communities, try to do um, more comprehensive support with the local leaders so that they can create their vision, they can pick what areas they want to work on in their community, and then we can come alongside those. It takes a lot of time building trust and listening. Mm-hmm. And so we've really kind of honed into certain areas and focused on those. And therefore, um, in my job, I say no a lot. <laughs> I don't like saying no, but I try to do it as best as I can, trying to help people realize that just because we're saying no doesn't mean they're not doing amazing work. Mm-hmm. And that I pray that God continues to bless them. And if I if I know other resources that might be able to support them, I try to give those out. But right. they know a lot. Well, I think we're going to get back in a little while to how important saying no can be in a healthy missional or any kind of relationship, really. Mm-hmm. But could you give us some examples besides Costa Rica? What are some of the other places around the world that you guys are committed to to walking alongside different ministries? Honduras, Haiti, South Africa, Uganda, Malawi, and the border, as well as we were in Puerto Rico for a short time with a disaster response to Hurricane Maria. And then we also are currently working with partners in Poland and Ukraine in response to the, the war in Ukraine. And then we then do a lot of disaster response. So when there's hurricanes, earthquakes, other wars, like what's happening in Israel and Palestine, is we also help support organizations that are vetted in those locations as well. I empathize with you so much because with with what you said, there's just so many great things all around the world and in our communities, especially. I think Shreveport has one of the most per capita nonprofits working in several different areas and each has their own unique specialty. And then just so many people that we love around the world that that is something that 10 years ago when I started in this ministry in Shreveport, that we as a global mission team had to really figure out what our purpose was going to be. What did partnership look like for us? And then let that guide us through making these decisions on how and where to partner. And it is, it is so difficult because you do have to really spend time getting to know the people across the table from you so that you hear what their idea of mission and what their idea of partnership and what their idea of coming to the table looks like And if that's going to mesh with you so that you can then build that relationship together. So I I empathize with you that because, yes, of my little 4,000 member church, everyone did come to the table wanting to say this, 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 this. And and we had to really narrow it down. But it's been quite the treat over these 10 years to to get to that point. Yeah, it's hard. (laughs) When I remember when we interviewed Michelle Osborne, who's the director of local missions at your church, and she talked about how important it was to get people to understand that sometimes supporting these different local ministries isn't so much about us going and doing the things that those ministries do. It's supporting the people that are already there, that already have the skills and the knowledge and the relationship and just empowering them to keep doing what they're already doing and doing even better, you know? Empower them to live into their calling to serve even better. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Have you said that before? 
I, there, there's just like a mission statement in there somewhere. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, you know, we have partnerships with a lot of different churches, and our relationships with each church is a little bit different from one another. One of the things that I really appreciate about how Church of the Resurrection approaches missions and their partnerships and their volunteers that they send out into the world is that they are extremely careful and intentional about every decision they make along the way. There's no just sign up, buy a ticket, go, can't do that. So part of that means that they put me through the ringer for about two, maybe three years of FBI background checks and reference letters and in-person interviews. Blood typing. It was, yeah, it was like I was trying to join the Secret Service or something. Eventually, they decided, okay, we think this guy's okay. We'll give it a shot. <laughs> Sheree. <laughs> all jokes aside, you, what is it the root of you all as a, a missions program being so careful about everything that you do? So before I answer that, I just wanted to know, did, did you ever see the people that were hanging out in the, the palm trees with video cameras recording like your every move for the for the first six months of that. Yeah, and I shot down a couple of drones um, <laughs> that were hovering over my house. Yeah, I knew you were going to bring this up. And as, as soon as you said, "Hey, do you want to come do the Broken Banquet podcast with us?" I thought, <laughs> "I'm going to get heckled on a podcast." <laughs> waiting. That's the whole point That's of doing this podcast was to get to this point of season two when I could give Sheree a hard time about the vetting process. That's it. Now we're done. We can close out right. season two. I know I prefer this, this is my apex moment and we're done. So I find it a little bit ironic that you would ask this question, Will, because the big word that you use all the time is abide. Mm -hmm. And if you go into partnerships or a relationship, whatever you want to call it, when you're working together with an organization or a person, and you haven't spent that time abiding, and Ashley, you talked a little bit about that when you talked about your local missions and, and making sure you're on the same page missionally and things like that, then you often find, or we have often found, that you end up having to end partnerships because you realize it's not a good fit. And I've had to end several partnerships, which was, again, I don't like saying no, so I really don't like ending partnerships. But the church for so many years, and when I say the church, I'm talking about the church is big, the big church. For so many years, in an attempt to do good and to help others, have completely disempowered thousands upon thousands, probably millions of people by coming and saying, here we are, we're going to save the day. Let me tell you how to do this. I'm going to do this for you and this for you and that for you. And so in an attempt to um, maybe even over-exaggerate the opposite reaction to that is we want to sit down and meet with people and number one, make sure they have skin in the game. They are going to own the vision that they uh, bring the local leaders, the people, the community are making the decisions, not us or that organization that they are going to participate in the betterment of their community so that they not only are guiding whatever takes place there, they're owning it. And so that when we leave 
it's going to go even better because now we're out of their hair and they've, they're going on the right trajectory. So we just spent a ton of time making sure that that's in place and that they want to be, they want to, they want to partner with us, you know, maybe we're the wrong person for them and that's okay too. But I would much rather spend those two or three years with people in trees recording with drones, <laughs> which that sounds really creepy. So we really don't do that. We, we actually have lots of conversations, both Zoom, both in person, we visit um, the, the little the space and make sure it's a good fit. We care about safety, security. I could probably go on forever, so I'll just stop. Well, how does that mentality of, of intentionality and care, how does that translate into the way that you prepare volunteers before you send them out into the world? So um, God bless most, most people from the U.S., but they want to go help and do something for someone. We are very task-oriented, and I say we because I am very task-oriented as well. I'm very type A. When someone asks, what are you going to do on the trip? When they come back, what did you do? And so we spend a bunch of time where I know you talk a lot about being the church. We don't necessarily use those words. We talk about going and being being alongside someone. So our favorite is when we serve with someone in the community. So again, we're not doing something for them. We're doing something with them. And we also do a lot of training on saying, you say, may think that you have the best idea on how to solve a solution at whether it be a work site or in a room or whatever, but you know what? Your best idea probably isn't the best idea for that community. Okay. Even if you've been in construction and you know how to do it, you know how to do it in the U.S. Mm -hmm. You don't know how to do it in other places. So we just really try to help people come in with a humble heart, that they're there just to love people and encourage people. And if they walk away and that's all they did, they've changed a life. And my favorite thing that I like to say is think about when you die or when people are on their deathbeds, they don't want to sit there and say, I earned all this money. I have this amazing house. They want to they want to have touched someone's life. They want people to say that they made a difference in their lives. And so if you go somewhere and you make a difference in someone's life and that person made a difference in your life, that to me is a little snippet of heaven. I'm fully with you. You said all of the right words, Cherie. You have said uh, trust. You said humility, a humble heart. You've said uh, abide, conversations, taking the time, task-oriented versus relationship-oriented. I mean, you hit all the things. All the things that we like to do in years. <laughs> I've learned a lot over the years. How about we say that? Yeah. I like don't this. know it all. Keep learning. And that's why I appreciate people who do this as well, because then I can learn. You know, I don't pretend I have all the answers, but I have learned. Well, I think so, too, that one thing that you said is, um, you know, we've done it so wrong for so long. And it's easy to swing that pendulum in the completely opposite direction where we're afraid to go or we don't go anymore or we don't do anymore because we're so afraid of afraid of doing it wrong. And, and, and so there has to be that balance of in the, in the media of being intentional, uh, understanding, listening, and taking this time to gradually learn and grow together because you're exactly right. That whole breakup situation, whenever there's a partner go gone wrong, it just hurts. It hurts and it's terrible. And, you know, you talk about the pendulum of, of not going and, you know, there's some people in our church that have said, well, instead of spending a couple thousand dollars to go, why don't I just send money? And, you know, and that's where I talk about. So one, one part of what we do, and Will and I were talking about this the other day, 
half of what I do is supporting our partners and whatever their visions, goals are and things like that and, and coming alongside them. The other half is transformation. And my hope and prayer is that it's not transformation just for our trip participants or just for that community, but it's mutual transformation. And that can't happen if you send a check. Mm -hmm. It only happens by being in a relationship with each other. So I think when the pendulum swings so far that we say, hey, we don't want to do short-term mission trips anymore, then we've totally, yeah, we might be able to do economic empowerment better. We might be able to empower the local leaders better. But now we're not trans transformed as, you know, brothers and sisters in Christ. And well, now we've just totally missed the kingdom of heaven. We've, we've done better on this earth, but we've not done so well for the kingdom. My answer to that is always, well, money doesn't give a hug. And for Will, that would be okay because he's <laughs> yeah, so lucky. It's preferable, it's preferable yes. to some people, which is why it's good to be in the kind of relationship where the person on the receiving end can express to you what their needs are. I may not need or want a hug ever, but I take your point. So now I feel really bad because when I've seen Will at the airport, I give him a hug. I will just shake your hand from now on. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm normally not a hugger and most people in the other cultures I go to are. So Will, you're an anomaly. Well, and I am an anomaly and I was going to bring that up and I can't remember if we mentioned this when we talked to Joyce or not, but I know that most, and maybe this is also why it took so long, but most of your partners around the world are people from the places where they are in ministry. Correct. And so I'm kind of the anomaly there too, and I'm not sure what it was that got us a buy, but I, I love and respect the fact that you guys intentionally look for opportunities to serve alongside people who are serving in their own communities. And it wouldn't have been nearly as appealing for you all to come and serve with me in Eastern North Carolina. So it's a good thing I came here, right? <laughs> but um, but we appreciate so, the fact. That part's still not appealing. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Wow. I'm only kidding. And we're done. Whoa. <laughs> for the earlier comment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. All right. We're even. No more stones will be thrown today. Um, Put it down, gosh, Ashley. Snarky, guys. It's getting a little snarky here. <laughs> I know. But no, we are. We're thankful that, that you did. You took the time instead of just writing us off because here's this North American guy doing mission work in Costa Rica. You did take that time to engage with us and to have those conversations and got to a point where you you felt comfortable. In my mind, it's because everyone else here is from here. My wife, who's a partner in ministry with me, is from here. And so those are sort of the redeeming factors. So I get a buy. <laughs> But, but for whatever reason it was, you got to a point where you were willing to see the, the value in partnership with us. And we're just, we're grateful for that. So were you at any point where you were just going to think, gosh, this wasn't worth it? Like, I, do I have to answer that question? No, no, I'll answer it for him. <laughs> <laughs> Please do ask. I don't think that he ever thought about, is it worth it? But he did often say, it's just taken so long. But my favorite <laughs> part is when he went up to Adam Hamilton in Israel, in Jerusalem and said, hey, I will Bailey, you finally decided to partner with me. I didn't say that. I, oh my God, I thanked him. That would have been fabulous. For the volunteers that they had sent from their church be a part of this ministry and for how well prepared they all were when they got here. And he thanked me for taking such good care of everybody while they were here. 
I didn't say thank you for finally deciding to come. I thought we decided we were throwing no more stuff. I didn't even know. Ashley was throwing them through the internet. Uh, I can just leave the room and you guys can just, you know, have some girls time and bash Will if you want to. Now I'm liking the idea of that podcast. Season three of the Book and Banquet is Ashley and Cherie trashing Will. No. Um, so I have another big church question for you, Cherie. One of the things that Ashley and I really, really want is for the members of her church and for people who are connected to our ministry to feel connected to our ministry on some level. You know, I don't want it to just be a special group of 15 people from Shreveport that feel like they know us and it ends there, but it's a challenge they do a particularly good job of it because they have there's stuff all over their church that's missions related. Um, when they do a newsletter, there's missionaries in the newsletter, there's calendars and we're in their calendar. And I, I love to brag about Shreveport because out of all the churches I've ever visited over all the years, it's the only church that I never have to introduce myself to anybody mm -hmm. because they already know who I am because they've seen us and heard from us all this time. So they do a wonderful job of keeping us connected. I'm sure there are things that Ashley maybe wishes that we could do even better. But I'm just wondering from your perspective, because you you're an even larger church family, how do you all try and get people who maybe aren't going to go to Malawi or aren't going to go to South Africa or aren't going to come to Costa Rica to feel like we are their missionaries? That is the $1 million question. Being part of a big church is fabulous because there's so much that we can do, um, both locally in the Kansas City area as around the globe. And that is a an amazing joy. The challenge is, is there are so many different ministries, whether that be inside the church or outside the walls of the church, that we could share about. I mean, we would need to share about 10 different things every weekend. There's just so much. And I, sometimes I call it a white noise. And so trying to tell that story and share that information is challenging. So we try to be relatively strategic with it. We get a couple of weekends a year where we can share uh, about trips. Um, with that said, we have special offerings like our Candlelight Christmas Eve offering where we usually try to tell a story of one of the things that we're doing. And then right around Thanksgiving, we, we tell follow up on what took place. Like this is where some of your funds went last Candlelight Christmas Eve. Here's some of the things that took place over the last year because of your giving. And then the other, that's why we started the Virgin Cultures podcast that you kind of mentioned earlier, is so that people who can't go, whether that be for health or financial reasons, we try to overcome, help them overcome the financial, but health reasons or would never go can still hear directly from our partners. And so we spend most of that podcast hearing from the people in those different countries or from around the globe and hearing less from us. We try to are kind of like the the fillers, if, if you will. It's the complete opposite of this podcast, Ashley, where we just talk and talk and talk and talk and don't let other people get a word in edgewise. <laughs> it's a strategy. <laughs> Got it. You mentioned just how there's so much that you can do in a big church and what a beautiful thing that is. And it reminded me of a conversation we had, I think yesterday over lunch. Will you tell the goat story, please? <laughs> Which is kind of funny because, you know, goat, greatest of all time. Yeah, and it's, it's a goat story. <laughs> okay, about I'm, I'm so excited. I love goats. Oh, perfect. So every um, Christmas leading up, it's not the candlelight Christmas Eve offering, but we do different things that people can do uh, around Christmas time. And a lot, most of them are local. But 
we always do two parts of join serving is what it's called for global. And so usually there's one from the Western hemisphere, one from the Eastern hemisphere with one of our, our partners. And so several years ago, our partners in Haiti said, hey, gosh, it would be great if if you guys could raise funds for goats. And so I said, sure, we can do that. You know, I asked a few questions first. And one of the things they have to they have to sign a memorandum of understanding on how they care for the goat. They have to go through a training. And once the goat has babies, they have to give away a goat. So, I mean, it's not just, you know, here's a goat. There's a whole structure behind it because, you know, two years, three years of an interview, we, we do that with everything. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, anyhow, goat projects moving forward and literally like goats were coming out of the woodwork. Everyone wanted to buy a goat. And so like the other project got a couple hundred dollars and the goat project was just thousands of dollars were coming in. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, we need to shut down the goats. And so I'm calling my partner and I'm like, Josue, like how many goats can you take in this community? And he's like, oh, well, we'll just keep expanding to other communities. Not a problem. And people were calling me up after Christmas. Like, we're in the like, end of January, beginning of February. Can I still buy a goat? And I'm like, oh, for the love, stop. <laughs> but now the big joke in our ministry is anytime we want to do fundraising, we're just going to pick up a picture of a goat on it. Yep. And say, it's it's buy, buy uniforms for children in Costa Rica. And there's a picture of a here's goat. Here's a picture of a goat. <laughs> The, the uniforms have a goat on it. <laughs> there you go. They get a little goat, and everyone's going to be like, "Why do we have goats on our uniforms?" Just don't worry about it. Just wear the uniform. It's fine. <laughs> well, so side side note. So I lived in Haiti for a hot minute, and people kept wanting to do the same thing. Like they just wanted, "What can we do? What can we do? What can we do?" And I kept running across these communities that would need, you know, like a goat or two. And so all of a sudden, I had so much money, I didn't know what to do with. So I, I ended up having a goat hotel. Uh, built a goat hotel and had it on this little farmland with the Swiss Red Cross. They let me have some of the the land behind all their supplies place, and uh, and so I ran this goat hotel. I hope that's on your resume. Absolutely, you were a goat hotel administrator in Haiti. Yes. Do you have any idea how many goats you wound up by? A uh, couple thousand. Oh my gosh, that's way more. Okay. <laughs> you know, they keep, repli- you know, goats replicate in a horse that's a get one, give one. So if you ever go back to Pedagog or go to Haiti, there's yeah, more goats than goats than people now. Correct. You're going to do a census on goats in this. <laughs> okay. Okay. Mine were in Leogon. So, okay. They're just right down the road. <laughs> you knew like in New Zealand, what if there's 40 sheep for every person. Every person. <laughs> Haiti's going to be like that with goats and it's going to be all Church of the Resurrection. Sheree, what, uh, when you look back over this, how many years that you've been at Church of the Resurrection, what is the biggest lesson that you've learned in mission partnership? I think... The biggest thing I've learned is that, unfortunately, if there is a North American voice in the room, it will drown out all the other voices in the room. So, for instance, we wanted to help start a nonprofit in Malawi, and originally it was going to be a Malawian staffed, and but the board was going to be a Malawian U.S. board. And then we realized that even if there's one person from the U.S. on that board, that voice will sway all of the other opinions. And so it is now a Malawian nonprofit with a Malawian board. And then they just kind of, uh, they just, we work together that way. And so we 
stay out of a lot of those decisions. Um, so yeah, I think that's, that was the biggest thing for me to learn is, and that's another reason that we spend so much time with relationships. Uh, one of the things that is my favorite moment is when I realize that we've abided enough and we've built enough trust for them to say no. So when we're having conversations like Josue, can you take 1000 more goats? Josue will say, actually, Sheree, no, we can't. And so I'll say, okay, guys, no more goats. And so um, to me, that's that's been my favorite with any partner is when they say no. And that's an amazing moment because it takes time and commitment and intentionality and just a huge amount of trust to be able to get to that point, years even, to get to that point of the person sitting across the table from you to be able to be honest and open and actually speak their mind. I, I completely agree. That is one of the biggest lessons I've learned too, is that I had no idea my nationality and the color of my skin would hold so much of a influence. Yeah. And so I had to learn that myself and be able to turn that around into humility and be able, be able to listen and ask questions more and be able to remain silent. And that was one of the hardest lessons I think that I've learned. Ashley, I think Sherwood Lienfelter talks about that some mm -hmm. in ministering cross-culturally. And Dwayne Elmer, too, talked about it in Cross-Cultural Servanthood. And how subtle that is sometimes. But if so, if we're not aware of it, if we're not on the lookout for how we as white North Americans going out into the world carry that weight with us when we go, whether we want to or not, it can be mitigated, but you have to be aware of it and mindful of it. And it's not fair to put the burden of mitigating it on the people in the community we're going into. We have to be humble enough to, first of all, recognize that that just is what it is. We're going to suck all the air out of the room as soon as we get there. So we're the ones that have to make the effort to push everybody else up so that their voices aren't just being heard, but are the ones driving the conversation. Mm -hmm. But if we're not aware of that first and don't really take it to heart, then we're just going to run the risk of running all kinds, running into all kinds of problems. But it's one of those things that like, it's so dangerous because it is so subtle. It's so easy not to do it and to never realize it's even happening. If you're not kind of tuned in to looking for those moments, um, you know, I, I've had moments where as we were going into a church for an activity or a service, the pastors have kind of defaulted to what they think my expectations of that service should be. I'm like, no, this is your church. It's your service. And we're guests here. Now, from their perspective, they're just trying to be as hospitable as they possibly can. But our own, they're trying to be hospitable can be turned around in such a way that we're just cutting them off at the knees. And so we're the ones that have to bear that burden of recognizing all of those dynamics and like you say, that takes time, it takes effort, it takes commitment. But if we're going to truly abide with one another in a way that's healthy, we have to be willing to do the work. If it wasn't hard, everybody, there wouldn't be any problems. Everybody would just be doing everything right and be no issue. But it is hard. 
And there are lots of problems. And if we don't commit to really being mindful and thoughtful, and to me, this is why I asked you, Shuri, at the very beginning about why are you all so careful? It's because of that. It's so that people from day one realize this is serious and we can do serious damage if we're not careful and thoughtful and intentional about it. Well, and so many people lead with money. Like they want to, they need, they see, they go someplace and they're like, oh, they need clean water and they give them money or whatever. And they will always be seen as a bank as opposed to a relationship. And so anytime you lead with a project or money before you lead with a relationship, it's really hard to back that up and fix it. And that's one of Will's favorite sayings is that um, the, the project should be a result or a fruit of the relationship. So if there ever comes to time for there to be a project of some sort, it must be the fruit, the action of the relationship. You can't have the action driving the relationship. It just doesn't work that way. I can't figure out why you're so surprised by the two or three year interview. You of all people between <laughs> abiding and relationships, I just don't even understand. <laughs> I just thought people could have been coming down here while we were doing that part. It's fine. But then people get attached. And then when we say, gosh, this isn't a great relationship and yep. we have to unattach them, it's ugly. Cherie, can you think of something? I mean, you've seen a lot of different missions in a lot of different places over the years with a whole lot of different people involved. Are, are there any particular moments that were just everything was, it was so incredibly good and beautiful and holy that you kind of hung on to those moments? My favorite moments are when I am in a community on one of my abiding trips, not context trips. Yes. <laughs> One of my abiding trips is when I and whoever it might be with me is sitting in a local leader meeting and we are just sitting there quietly and the people in the rural community. So I'm not talking about like a pastor. I'm not talking about a chief. I'm not talking about a missionary. The people in that rural community that may not have a very strong education that may normally be very intimidated by outsiders stands up in the middle of this meeting and like they're standing with pride. So I know no one can see me right now, but they've got this posture of a, a healthy pride sharing something that they've accomplished, something that they've been able to do um, recently, whether it's a community project or they've been able to put a roof over their house or whether they've been able to save money to send their child to school but they realize that it's something that they have done and it's a totally different posture. Do you know what I'm talking about? I mean, when you have people who have self-esteem issues or feel beaten down by life, they're kind of hunched over, they won't look you in the eye. It's when they stand tall and they look you in the eye and they're like, I did this, I can do this. And so that is every single time, every single time it gets me. Is it Malawi that you all do the agricultural stuff that the the sustainable farming all that? Where's the that? permaculture is yeah. in Malawi. We're also doing a similar project in Haiti. And for the life of me, now I can't remember. I just got a report on it. It's similar to permaculture and intercropping, but it's a whole different word. It's like permaculture Haitian style, and I'm like, oh, this is awesome. Creole, Creole <laughs> permaculture. Learning something else, but it's. But they they do it differently. Like they 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 layer the soil with different nutrients to 
And then once they've layered it, they plant it in that and it renews this. So it's this whole, it's not any of those other things. It's something new. And I'm like, this is what I love about my job is you find innovative indigenous leaders and then they teach stuff and I get to learn too. <laughs> it's so fun. But there was something, I remember I was following along with some of the things you were reporting from, I guess it was Malawi. Uh -huh. and, and you talked about how much, just, I don't know if it was in terms of acreage or tons that were produced or whatever, but the amount of kind of what this first sort of model farm started with, and then however many years later with all the other people who had learned how to farm in that same way, the amount of production and food that they were providing for one another was pretty staggering. Am I, am I remembered? Do you, do you know what I'm talking about? I do, but I don't remember numbers. Oh, come on. <laughs> I do know that in the last three, three, two years, we now have 2,000 food secure families in the area that have 24 7, 365 nutritious, all food groups, food available to them due to the permaculture food security project. And when you started that project, it was zero. Correct. They were just eating maize and maybe one or two meals a day of maize. And there might be a like a vegetable, but no real protein. Well, my other question that I was going to ask, I've heard you talk about when you were talking about sitting across from the other person and seeing that empowerment move through them of knowing that they had confidence in your relationship and knowing that they had um, trust in your relationship. What is something that you've seen across the table from you? So as we're talking about this whole broken banquet, what is something that you've seen across the table from you that has taught you a specific lesson about what maybe someone from Malawi or Haiti has brought to the table that has made you a more complete person or has strengthened your relationship in Christ? There are so many things. Um, you know, I think the the one thing that people often talk about is just the amount of faith that people in countries that don't um, have their food guaranteed to them every day that we pretty much everyone in the U.S. can access food in some form. People are food insecure for sure. Um, the faith that that is shown to us is powerful and makes me realize what a weak faith that I have. The resourcefulness that I see in a lot of leaders. One of the other things that I love is I've learned how to look for assets as opposed to deficits in people. The uh, hospitality, the fact that people over time are always more important. Um, we put so much in the U.S. on being punctual places, which, again, task-oriented Sheree appreciates. But I also realize we miss so many opportunities to help people when they need just encouragement, support, whatever it might be. I've learned a lot. Those, those are the top five things that off the top of my head. Because <laughs> there's something that you thought, oh my gosh, they're probably going to ask me about such and such. Or, oh, I can't wait to talk about such and such. And we haven't done either. Is there anything that you thought we were going to ask you about that we didn't ask you? No. The only thing I would... I guess I would want to add is because there's so many things you can do incorrectly when you're doing any sort of cross-cultural anything, whether it be business relationships, I don't care, anything shouldn't prevent you from making an attempt to do that 
and then doing it with a little bit of laughter at yourself. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, some people will say, you know, well, I don't know enough Spanish or enough whatever, and they don't want to talk because it's just going to be embarrassing. I go in like a bull in a china shop. And, you know, when I say the wrong word, we all laugh at me. <laughs> it's fine. But I just, you know, when we talk about how the church has messed up so many years, it's not okay to keep messing up, but it's okay to mess up and learn from it and then change. And so my biggest fear is if we're still doing it wrong. I've pretty much dedicated the second half of my life to this. And so if we're still doing it wrong, that would be soul crushing. Mm -hmm. But every time I do see that, you know, we talked about the empowerment and when people are just proud of something they've accomplished, I believe we've got to be doing something right. Mm -hmm. And then I pray a lot. I just think there's a lot of prayer involved. Mm -hmm. Lord, despite me, please continue to do good things. Yeah. Well, Sheree, thank you so much. It's been fun having you with us today. Uh, I've wanted you two to meet for a long time. I'm so thankful for your friendship and for the way that you and the staff and Church Resurrection have come alongside me and my family and our team here in Costa Rica. Uh, Ashley, I don't know if you knew this, but 15% of the volunteers that are coming to Costa Rica to be with us next year are coming from Church of the Resurrection. They have five, pe five teams, Ashley, every other month to see him coming. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's yeah, he's going to be sick of us before the year's over, but that's okay. You remember when you talked about no, that sort of that defining moment in partnership is when the partner actually says, no, we're, we're, <laughs> we're getting close to that. I'll be excited by that. But it just started. No, so, Will, I've appreciated getting to know you. I've learned a lot from you. And Ashley, I've loved chatting with you on this podcast. Oh, Shree, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for being on the podcast with us. I hope we get to actually meet in person. And I am a hugger, so I might just come running up to you. So Perfect. I will hug you back. Yeah. And make sure when you see her that you run up to her saying, oh my gosh, are you Ashley from the Broken Banquet podcast? I because that's just daily life for Ashley. I'll have you sign something. I'll have a pen and paper ready. <laughs> Ashley, enjoy the rest of your Sunday and your gigantic Coca-Cola. Tell the boys hello and Molly. She's right here. She's been right here for the whole time. Good for Molly. Molly's the dog. Oh. <laughs> All right. We'll talk to you soon. Bye, Ashley. Bye. Bye, Will. Bye, Sheree. You've been listening to The Broken Banquet, a podcast by Will Bailey and Ashley Goad. Music provided by Irene and the Sleepers. Join us next week for another episode. He's prepared the table. All things are ready. Come to the feast. <laughs>